0: Welcome to this episode of Blended, Blessed, and Always a Mess. I'm Eric. And I'm Angie. We are married with a ton of kids. We have six
1: kids total. He has three, and I have three. My name's Hallie, and I love riding horses.
0: I'm Lexi, and I love agriculture. My name's Carter, and I love eating. My name's Chase, and I love lifting weights. My name's Summer, and I love spending my parents' money. I'm Dane, and I love baseball. Our show is about our blended, blessed, and always a mess life. And our hope is if you find yourself in the same situation we are in, that by sharing our story, all the fun and all the mess challenges we are experiencing, it will give you some inspirations, laughs and community knowing you are not alone in this mess.
1: We appreciate you spending time with us. Let's dive in.
0: Welcome to this week's episode of Blended, Blessed, and Always a Mess, where we are excited to have a guest with us today. And it's kind of spawns a little bit off of a few weeks back when we were talking about starting Hallie's House on our very first rental property and budgeting, right? We talked about that. That
1: nasty word.
0: And also, we've talked a little bit too, though, about like what it's like to be a husband in this day and age, right? Because I feel like I try to do it differently than our parents did it, try to be active in certain ways. So like my wife tends to do, she ends up always figuring out the best way to tackle those situations. And so she has met Brian Page and we're going to visit with Brian today. He's the founder of Modern Husbands who like to laugh, celebrate men, support my other modern husbands that are married to working spouses, which is what Angie and I do. And not only that, he spent 15 years as a personal finance and economics teacher, along with being a previous Milken National Educator of the Year and CNN Money Hero. He has served as a working group member with President Obama's Advisory Council on Financial Capability. He has assured us he was neutral politically, Switzerland in that regard. And also, he's been a guest on multiple podcasts and interviewed for publications like The New York Times, Time, U.S. News, and World Report, USA Today, and CNBC. And it has been right a monthly op ed for Market Watch since November of 22, and an op ed for The Washington Post. So, quite the introduction for Mr. Brian Page. Brian, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited for the conversation.
1: Brian, can you tell Eric has a radio voice?
2: He t- <laughs> Eric has a great radio voice, and I have a great face for radio too. Yeah, well,
0: you do, yeah. I appreciate <laughs> that. I I had, have a great face for radio. <laughs> on radio I started working in radio was 15, so I've got like really years, yeah, long time. Wow, done a lot of different voice gigs across the, across the world, and a lot of cool stuff like that. So yeah, it's been been a fun journey, and great to interview uh, folks like yourself and learn more about how to help us budget. But then also for people that are listening, trying to figure out how to balance life, everyday life issues with your spouse. I think this is going to be really, really good. So let me me start just by asking this question. And it works for all married folks, but especially for us in a blended family. Why do you think talking about money is so difficult in marriages? So just
2: uh, generally speaking, the challenge that accompanies conversations about money is really more about the emotion that comes with it. And many of us were not trained to manage money formally. We weren't necessarily told that you should talk about money or maybe that wasn't modeled for you. So you have already these obstacles that are put in place of perhaps not being the expert that you wish you were because you were, you were let down in our education system. Or perhaps there were things that happened in your, in your past that have created like financial trauma or decisions that you've made that you feel like shameful about. And all of those complex emotions and circumstances make it really hard to, to sit down and have, you know, some thoughtful conversations about. What the role of money is in in yourself and your identity, and then how does that impact the marriage as a whole?
1: Oh, I mean that that totally resonates, <laughs> and especially people do tie money to their identity in a lot of aspects, yeah. and I think even when you try to blend families and you think about money completely differently and have different experiences later in life, trying to then combine that could be good, it could be bad. <laughs>
0: That's right. We shared a story in the last few months. We were talking about budgeting about when we first got married, and and I once questioned a, a Botox expense that my wife had. Nope. And it was like I was questioning her identity, and it would that didn't go well for me, Brian. It didn't go well.
2: <laughs> no, those those types of conversations are usually pretty tough tough to have. And I can assure you that there are things that I purchased that uh, my wife isn't necessarily
0: thrilled about. Yeah. So then what do you what do you find that on on a regular basis since this is kind of what you do what what diving into that deeper what are some common scenarios where couples are arguing about money finances that sort of thing
2: Well I I think that to start it's important that the listeners understand that the only perfect way to manage money as a couple is the way that works perfectly for you as a couple. I do not believe in like dogmatic approaches because everybody's circumstances are so different. They're unique. And finding a way to be able to find that sweet spot can be challenging. And if people don't understand like, how to proactively have conversations about money, generally, people are only talking about money with their partner when they're reacting to something that's happened in the past. So it could be an, an unplanned expense, could be you know financial infidelity. It could be like disapproval of how your spouse is spending money. But whatever it may be, partners tend to or spouses tend to like stumble into these problems they have with each other's decisions. Or they are facing financial stress themselves, right? They're living paycheck to paycheck, and then something happens. Some sort of unplanned expense occurs. And what happens as a result of that is there's all this stress, there's all this anxiety, and you're not talking about money. You're kind of like arguing, right? You're mm-hmm. you're blowing off steam with each other. Then all of a sudden you're blaming. And so the most important thing that a couple can do to reduce their arguments about money, my wife and I still, you know, will argue about money um, occasionally, is is to have proactive conversations, right? To sit down initially, regularly, like at least once a week and talk about money in a space where you're not stressed out, where you're not going to be interrupted by the kids, where you can kind of get away and also know that when you sit down that you want to have a conversation that first starts with the fun stuff right? It should not, just the word budget, like that word for me, like makes my my shoulders kind of tense up. Nobody, <laughs> nobody likes the word restraint to begin a conversation. So when couples talk about what it is that they love spending money on, what that turns into really is a conversation about values and a conversation about the joys of marriage. And those are the types of entry points that you look for, because when you find that you each have common experiences in spending money in a way that make you both happy and both closer to each other and bring your family tighter to one another, that you are already off to an important start in establishing a budget, which is prioritizing what's most important to your family, the values that, that speak to you most, and then work back from there. And it makes it easier to to reduce the kinds of spending that create leakages that create you know that paycheck to paycheck circumstance for a lot of people some people you know because of their financial circumstances they just don't make enough and it's hard but for everyday people you can you can plug those holes because you've already addressed and given the green light to one another to spend on the things that mo- most matter to you so then fast forward 6 months after you've had these regular conversations which obviously they unfold into you know kind of the more the, the the laborious tasks like actually setting budgets and looking at your financial plan or meeting with a financial planner after 6 months you know exactly where each of you are you know what direction you're you're headed and so when something happens you're tackling that task as a couple and as teammates you're not tackling each other
1: do you I know you said you don't really take a dogmatic approach to it, but do you recommend that couples combine, like they should do joint checking accounts Uh or do you like, is there, do you have any advice around that? Like, do they, when you're, when you get married, should you combine or does it really matter as long as you're aligned on the big goals and can break it down? I'm just going to jump right Um, into the challenging. uh,
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's the tough question. I'm going to answer it with just the data points and what research says, and then the advantages and disadvantages of each. So um, let me start with a blended perspective, a blended family perspective of the devil's advocate to that. So I have a friend who is in a blended family and he does not have a child that he brought into that blended family. His partner does. And they decided for simplicity's sake that they keep all of their money separate, and then they have shared expenses—what mortgage, food, whatever—and and she is in the finance industry, and she enjoys tracking every penny. And so she just simply tells them what he owes every month to her. It works well for them because of their professions and their blended circumstances are really complex messy and they need some sort of simplicity that they can count on just to kind of keep things churning. Now that works for them. What the data says is that folks who combine all of their finances are far less likely to divorce. Folks who, and I want to say it's like folks who after five years have maintained that are, are 30 times less likely to divorce. It's pretty significant. That's what my wife and I chose to do. Is we we just pulled all of our money together for us. It we just had a tough time like understanding how we would make it work because we just see everything that we do is blended. So that that's another approach. So one common approach is separate, uh, which I went over, and then you have the approach. Of just blending everything together, which statistically speaking is the most effective approach to reduce arguments and the chances of divorce. And then you have the hybrid, right? Which is oftentimes referenced as yours, mine, and ours, meaning you have a bucket of money. I have a bucket of money and then we have a shared bucket of money. Now, the advantage of that is that for couples who perhaps have spending choices that they each make that drive each other bananas, <laughs> that, that can now go into their own spending buckets and they don't have to have that conversation anymore. And so kind of like a common way to manage that would be you might only have three or four hundred dollars each that you spend independently each month, where you don't have to talk about it. There's no financial infidelity. That sounds and familiar. That can sometimes weather the storm, uh-huh. um, and it also makes it easier for gifts, right? So if, if you have, if you want to buy your spouse a gift, they don't see the transaction if you have a different account.
1: Yeah, we. What do you that's all do? Interesting. So I would say we've combined everything into one. Which okay. Eric's super, super frugal. So that's one reason okay. why I was okay with that approach, because I usually like to be the one in control and handling everything. So okay. I'm like, okay, he's he's frugal. So we can we can combine it all. And then we ran into a few little hiccups of the Botox scenario where I got a heavy sigh. And I'm like, oh, no, let's not go. I,
0: right. I, I didn't even say anything. It was just a <laughs> sigh. <stop>.
1: That's it. <laughs> I can see the look on his face, Brian.
0: Right that doesn't matter.
1: And yeah, that's right. So then it's like, okay, how are we going to work this? Because he kind of has some side gigs, gigs where he keeps some cash on the side. And we did that exact thing. We just basically said, okay, well, for purchases that we don't want to discuss, then we'll use credit card. He has his credit card. I have my credit card. And then we just pay those credit cards off and you don't see the transaction. And then it works good for gifts. So we, the idea of three different accounts, mine, his, ours, it's like, I can't fathom trying to keep track of that. So that seemed way too complex for us, but... We, we got by with, okay, we'll just use credit card for those statements, pay it off. And then you just see what goes out on the credit card. You don't see what's actually purchased.
2: And that's oh, a great I'm example impressed. of yours, mine and ours. Like you're just using, it's all, yeah like the strategy is what matters. And then the tools that you use to employ that strategy could come in very different ways. Like some people only like to use cash. Yeah. Um, for for you all,
0: like honestly, the credit card is probably the simplest route to go. Yeah. Well, I, you know, something you said earlier that I really thought was good. It's like anything, right? It's, it's having conversations uh, beforehand. So like pre-communication about purchases or things that might be coming up. So that pre-communication, but also in how you view it. Like I've never thought of money as a way that it could bring you together as a couple, but when you do, I, we've kind of seen it lately by this new rental property, Hallie's house that we've named after our daughter. That's kind of become like a theme in our home that you know, we're budgeting for this home for our daughter and and it, it's become a, a unifier, if you will. Money is become a unifier in that regard and how we budget. I've never thought about it that way, but that to me sounded like what you said earlier is like when you, when you have the same money goals, it can actually bring you closer together. Yeah, for sure.
1: What are some common myths that really kind of could damage a married couple when it comes to money? Like you talk to a lot of different people who've been in the finance business for a long time what are some common money myths that you see?
2: A lot of it is based around how you manage credit. So, and, and then the scoring system that that accompanies it, and then the consequences of failing to understand it. So like, as an example, there are a lot of myths that are surrounding credit cards. So one myth might be that as long as you pay the balance in full and on time, that your credit score will be great. Um, that's a myth. You you need to pay your balance in full and on time. However, you need to keep a low balance as close to zero as possible at all times. And the reason that's particularly challenging for couples is if a couple shares, oftentimes they have joint accounts or one is simply the authorized user on the other's account. And if they're not having conversations about spending money on that same credit card... Then balances can be, you know, throttled up pretty quickly. And when you carry a high balance, your credit score goes down um, because ultimately credit score is simply a reflection of your credit report, and a credit report is just a snapshot in time. That it's at that moment, whenever the credit score is pulling from your credit report, whether or not you pay it on time, it doesn't matter if you have if you're close to your credit limit. So I I was huh, okay I, I'll share I'll share <laughs> an argument that that we did have about money. So I I was on a quest to earn a perfect credit score. Oh uh, th- 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 There's there's lots of different credit scoring models, but at the time the most widely used score that was referenced was a FICO 8. And you, it's really hard to get to that those last like 10 points, you know, from 840 to 850, and I accomplished it. And, you know, I mean, you you really have to be super strategic. I paid my balances in full and on time for every credit card every day. So that was my routine in the morning. I opened up my mobile app while I was drinking my coffee and just made sure I paid everything. Every day. Every day. Yeah. Because the, the credit utilization rate on a credit card has a disproportionate impact on your credit score. So like, let's say you have a mortgage, you're going to have a higher balance on your mortgage at first, but the credit scoring model doesn't really hurt. It doesn't hurt you uh, as a result, but variable credit, like uh, revolving credit, that's different. So if you keep your revolving credit lines around zero, there's activity, but around zero, it really boosts your score. So fast forward to like, you know, all these different tricks that I was using and we switched banks. And when we did that, there was a spreadsheet of what all needed to transfer over, because we most of us have auto pay, right? And so one of us failed <laughs> to tra- <laughs> failed to transfer over an auto pay for a vehicle, an auto loan, and which is a double whammy because I hate auto loans. We don't have car debt now, but we did at that time. I hate it. So anyhow, one of us was receiving just emails that hey, you've you're 10 days late, 15 days late, 20 days late. And fast forward to like 32 days after this point, my phone starts blowing up with all these alerts. Like I'm delinquent, my credit score plummeted, and I'm like freaking out. And uh, yeah,
1: it's gone.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So my credit score, just for perspective, went from an 850 to a 754.
1: Oh my gosh. From one late car payment?
2: Late payments. are Wow. wow. They crush you. Yeah. Now, wow. if you already if you have a low score, it doesn't hurt you as much. But yeah, so it took me it it took me quite a bit of time to get it back up into like the eight twenties, eight thirties. Wow. That's so wild. yeah, we argued about money at that over that yeah. that circumstance. But we, you know, most couples it, usually when you're arguing about money, it's because opposites attract and oftentimes there's a frugal person in the relationship and then there's a spender in the relationship and when when couples are courting one another you know typically you appreciate that counterbalance you appreciate mm-hmm. the fact that this person lives more freely and i can't right so like i do have money issues in the sense that like if i walk into a shopping mall i have physical responses i get a headache i just do not like like shopping malls, if there's a bill at the end of the, like whenever we go out to eat, my wife does the bill. I can't see it because it'll sour my entire evening. Ah, But with that, that, (laughs) so you two are the opposites, right? So you're Uh Angie, I'm assuming you're the more free spender and Uh Eric, you're more frugal. And that's probably one of your attractions to one another, but you also have to make sure that you're constantly communicating and compromising as as well, and a lot of that has to do with you know kind of our upbringing too and and the kind of the the socioeconomic class that we come come from that typically has a pretty big impact on our money personalities and how we like to see money, how we manage money, our relationship with money
1: yeah i I totally agree the how you're brought up and I mean, we both were brought up, raised where we didn't have a lot of money. So he stayed frugal. I'm like, whoa, I'm, you know, in yeah, my I, card. I'm going to make sure my, you know, we have things because I didn't have things. So like you could go two different ways with it too.
0: I would dive on that or I would add to that while we didn't have any, the reason that I'm this way is because one of my parents overspent when we didn't have the money. Mm-hmm. And so I saw what that could do from a a negative standpoint. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to be back in that scenario as an adult where I spent money I didn't have. I wanted to be able to provide a much better life for a spouse and children and things like that. Hence the reason that I became so frugal, even though I ended up doing a lot better than my parents, I just, I didn't ever want to be an overspender in that regard. So that's, that's kind of what happened.
2: Well, and that that story is a great example because that is a form of financial trauma and that stuck with you and spouses in their own way, um, instinctually want to protect each other, create security with each other. And what you're doing is, and it's the same thing that I do, is instinctive as a result of that. And it's important to you that when you see money, I'm assuming you see it as more of a security blanket, like keeping my family safe making sure they have what they need. Whereas typically when somebody grows up in an environment where they had very little, they seem to be more free spenders because they don't like to talk about money. They are accustomed to see money come and go. And they know that what I have now might not be there to- tomorrow. And so they're more likely to to spend more freely. And so Angie, that sounds like well, that's you. And yeah, that's in I mean, a relationship. That's not bad if you balance each other out.
1: Right. I, and I think true. we do a good job of balancing each I other agree. out. I mean, I think for me, I've worked really hard to get to a place where I'm where I'm at. And with being single for five years and had financial stability <laughs> that I could, you know, I bought I bought great gifts for him when we started dating.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's fair.
1: But, you know, it's like kind what, of like, what well, was your hey, favorite?
0: Why did she stop? Oh, wait. Yeah. No. Uh, We're
1: on a budget now. That's, that's why right. I stopped.
0: Honestly, my favorite thing, and I'm kind of worried about it because one of the pieces of it's kind of trying to break. It was a uh, this wa- the very first gift she got me was a watch. Okay. And it had a brown black face. The movement brown, brand. Yeah. Brown band. And one of the little pieces on the band's trying to break on me. And I love that watch. But she left a little note. It was like, I've enjoyed spending time with you. I can't wait to spend a lot more of it. I mean, how sweet was that? that was pretty sweet. Now I, I want to ask a follow up question what was the occasion for that
1: There was no occasion
0: no, it was like we had started dating okay. for a few
2: weeks and I got that gift yeah. yeah so I wrote about this on on our website what you just experienced is based on research the the kind of gift that makes people the apps one of the kinds of gifts that makes people the absolute happiest and the criteria is it's unexpected right? It's not like Christmas where you're expecting something and there might be a letdown. It's just out of the blue. Two, isn't necessarily the watch. The watch is more of a symbol. It's the note that came with it. And that expression of how she felt about you then tied into the watch itself. And that's why it's so meaningful. I'm
0: laughing right now because that's so true. She's given me several gifts over the years since then, but it's just like, oh, here, I got this for you, right? And then I'm like, okay, well... Thanks. I, it's fine. The gift is nice, but it's never had as much meaning, I guess, because the note, the note was really the gift. You're right. Yeah, Lee.
1: All right. I'll put well stuff, done. start putting notes with new clothes that I buy. That,
0: otherwise, I'm like, okay, I got a shirt, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Something else you said before we hopped on today that I found incredibly interesting, and I assume that is a big change in how people do their money. You know, when we were growing up, a lot of the households, I would have to guess predominantly, it was one parent worked, the other person stayed home with kids. But now it's so balanced. Can you talk more about that and then how that influences the way people spend money? Because now both people are making their own money. It's not so one-sided as it was before. So yeah, just dive into that a little bit. Sure. So when when I formed modern husbands as I was telling you before, I
2: I went from being, you know, the the spouse who worked 80 hours a week. I was clearly the breadwinner to now not being the breadwinner by, you know, and, and staying that way and we're going to continue to do that until our kids are out of the house. And that whole transformation was tough. So the first thing I Did was like Google how to be a better husband. And as I was telling you, like a bunch (laughs) of stuff came up on like how to cheat on your wife and get away with it. And I was like beside myself. I just wanted kind of a community of like-minded men who just understood that things are different now. Like what are the little things that we can do to be, to be better? I'm far from a perfect husband. And the challenges that we face are oftentimes a result of the societal norms that are baked into our behaviors. So, like, as an example, I felt like a sense of pride by, you know, bringing home the bacon. And I felt like that that was my, my role. And, you know, that makes a tremendous amount of sense if it's like you have a relationship where one partner stays home, or it looks more like the 50s, 60s and 70s, where by design, oftentimes she stayed home and managed the home and he went to work. Now, the advantage of that is there's clarity in the roles, right? The home is hers, work is his, and there's simplicity. But what we still see is a 20th century home management style in a 21st century work world. And that's leading to unhappy marriages because women disproportionately shoulder more of the division of labor at home, particularly the the tasks that are redundant. They happen again and again and again. And that leads to resentment. That leads to fights because, and and I'm just speaking on my own experiences, because she's trying to do more than she should. She's upset with you. She doesn't want to take the time to explain what needs to be done because it's probably just faster to do it herself. And so there's this like silent anger about it. And when I kind of made this transition, I started to look back and realize how terrible I was like I was awful I didn't know anything I never cooked I didn't do my own laundry I didn't do I didn't do anything I always thought like hey there's this there's this like this little uh, stand up where this guy's like hey this countertop it's it's a magic countertop if you I just saw
0: this. A load of isn't it? It's great. That was me. <laughs> so
2: funny. <laughs> and and I, I'm looking back and feeling really shameful. So I'm working hard to figure out like how can I take everything off of her plate and prioritize, you know, the unique needs that our children have. And I am A, recognizing I wasn't doing a good enough job. B, I'm f- I'm feeling a little bit like bad about myself because so much about masculinity is tied to money in America. And that made a lot of sense before. And there's something to be said with having the ability to financially provide for your family. That's important. But in a world where women are earning around the same or more than their husbands in 45% of households, what the word provider means to them is more than a dollar sign. It could mean shouldering more of the challenges at home. It could mean, let's say one of our advisory board members, his wife is an ER physician. So she had a bad day at work, people died. So she needs just calm, calmness at home. She needs just kind of somebody that is a good social, uh, emotional support system. And so as men, we have to recognize that we need to understand how can we contribute fairly in managing the home. And that means owning the task completely. So as an example, I, I like to cook. I like to smoke my beets. I like to barbecue. I like to cook. That means I own What's your specialty, it.
0: Brian? What's your specialty?
2: Uh, I would say my uh, smoked pork is probably the best. The secret there is that I let it smoke for about 27 hours. Oh, oh, wow. So really low and slow. You got it. Yeah. And then you you crank it up at the very end. You wrap it around the towel you put it in the oven, let it sit there for about an hour or two. Then you dump it real quickly with the towel in an ice chest. Voila. It just comes right off the bone. <laughs> so wow. so anyway, I, I own everything revolving around cooking. The grocery, when we go to the grocery, I have the list because I know what needs to be made. And it's so much easier because it's just me doing it. I don't have to try to Work things out with my wife, which just creates unnecessary communication. I'd rather talk to my wife about fun stuff than who's buying the baked beans. And I manage everything after dinner's done. Um, it's part of that could be making sure the kids do their chores. She does the laundry. It's just something she's always liked to do. Now, what has come of that is a happier marriage. I'm happier. I feel. I feel better about myself because my contributions inside the home are more clear. And what I've experienced is not uncommon. The biggest bump of happiness when men are able to manage the home, spending a fair amount of time as their partner actually comes from husbands. Husbands are happier. Women get happier, but the, the larger bump is from husbands. What do you think we do in our house?
1: <laughs> We're learning. We've come a long <laughs> way, but... I mean, I agree with everything that you're saying around figuring out your roles and and where you fit and where you feel valued. Eric does all the laundry in our house. I'm more into okay. groceries, but he's very OCD about the laundry and likes it to be done a certain way. So I got fired, unfortunately.
0: She do not have to <laughs> do any hate laundry. It. I don't you know, hate most it. Most of the time she cooks and I do dishes typically. Yeah. Like it's yeah. kind of a, we, we, try, we do try to balance it because we both work and- so, yeah, I do think there's a lot of, lot of balancing. You know what I learned last week, Brian? Say something I learned last week I don't want as a responsibility. I take care of all the things outside. Mowing the yard with the boys, trimming all that mm-hmm. stuff. You know what I don't want to do? I don't want to water plants in the house. That is mm-hmm. not something I'm good at. Last week, she was gone and asked me to water the <laughs> okay. plants. I we, didn't do it right. We well.
1: Been, we've been married for, it was two years in April. So we're kind of newlyweds, right? So we've never okay. talked about... We've never talked about who waters the plants. Um, I have a lot of plants in the house. I love it. And I thought it
0: was magic. They got watered by the magic thing, on, like you're talking about, like the magic uh, put on the table <laughs> and well, magically get watered.
1: So I have been <laughs> the last couple of weeks traveling a ton for work. And so I've been gone. And so one day I said, hey, would you mind watering the plants? <laughs> He's like, sure, no problem. And then he, it was funniest saying, because he messaged me later and goes, I think I pretty much flooded our house because every pot was
0: leaking, <laughs> and
1: I'm like, "How much water did you water? Did you give them?" He's like, "Well, i mean, I dumped a bunch in there." I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" I had, had was... house
0: spread out all across the floor, like drying stuff up. It took me thirty minutes to water plants. I was like, "What a waste of my time!" <laughs> but
1: it is communication because I just said water the plants versus like assuming that he read my mind and knew maybe you do a cup each, not. Like gallons. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they had a lot. They had a lot to drink. Okay. Trying to make sure it was covered.
1: But I, I do like what you mentioned earlier, too, on just... I think you mentioned the ER nurse on being able to recharge and figuring out your roles because Eric and I are opposites in that way of how we recharge. I'm a more introvert type of person. And so that's something else that we've had to learn is how do you allow the other person to recharge? And for me, it's it's the quiet time and he's more of an extrovert and it's more of the social thing. So that's an area we're still... Because to me, it's all connected. The happy marriage, whether it's money or you know how to yeah. recharge or who's doing chores, like if you're one aspect of that's not balanced, it's going to affect another aspect of it, right?
2: Yeah, that's exactly connected. right. and when you when you start to to think through like how it is that you're going to tackle all of these things to make sure that when you are spending time together, it's quality time and you can focus on you know what really matters, like your downtime is an example. How can you make sure you're each getting the downtime that you need to recharge? Because ultimately that that's essential. And you but you can't get to that unless everything else is managed. But what the research says is that whatever patterns and routines are established in the first six of six months of marriage are really hard to break.
0: Mm. Oh, so, interesting. so interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So if you're a newlywed, then you know, really be thoughtful. Of, of what you, you know, are doing. And 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 I also had a podcast guest of my own tell me this. And I, I just blew me away of the simplicity of this. When I asked this person, Dr. Mangino, what is one thing that you suggest that spouses do to be happier in their marriage? And she said, just sit down and ask the other person, can you explain to me what you think a great husband looks like? And oh. then vice versa. Can yeah. you tell me what a great wife looks like? I never... I never thought to ask my wife that. I never thought wow. to say, hey,
0: Hope, what does a great husband look like to you?
2: Because ultimately, man,
0: oh, <laughs> I know what our conversations look like this weekend. We don't have kids this weekend. <laughs> We're about to dive in. <laughs> it gives you a vision, it gives yeah. you like some understanding instead
2: of just the guessing game, which is all I've done. And I can assure you, I've guessed incorrectly many times. Makes but at least by having sense. that conversation, you have like an expectation of what your spouse wants and how can you deliver for your spouse. How to build the perfect spouse.
0: <laughs> and go. <laughs> and here we go. All right, we are just about out of time for today. A couple of questions before we leave. Brian, can you tell people how they can find you for through your podcast or socials? Sure thing. So modernhusbands.com is you
2: know our home base, and we send out, out a newsletter just every couple of weeks. And uh, you can subscribe there for like updates and all kinds of new opportunities. And then you can also at ModernHusbands.com find our podcast, which is the Modern Husbands podcast. And we just started going weekly and the podcast is about a half an hour long. And we have various experts on to talk about ideas to ways to share tackling household chores and managing money as a team. And also we talk about some mental health issues for men, like how can we live in a way where, where we're happier? And uh, yeah, so modernhusbands.com. And then you'll find, we do all the social media stuff there as well. Instagram and um, Facebook and et cetera. Can I ask him our final question?
1: Oh, I didn't prep you for this. So uh, what, we, what we ask all of our guests on our show is what's your favorite family tradition?
0: Oh, wow. I,
2: I and we might actually, we're going to break it this year for a good reason, but I love Christmas. Like I'm obnoxious about it. Like I'll watch as soon as, me too, buddy. Like Thanksgiving. They, like November 1 is when I went to trio, right? I um, listen you know, to Christmas music November 1. So do I. Yeah, so do I. Um, <laughs> National Lampoon's Christmas vacation. Did we just become best friends? I think so. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll watch it 30 times, 40 times. It's just what's on in the background. And that one day, that Christmas day, it's just us. We don't go anywhere. We don't get on the phone. We just spend quality time with each other and we play board games and we eat meals together. And it's just like that one special laid back day where we know that it's only family time. Oh, um, now, this that. year, we're going to do it somewhere else. But there's going to be 24 people from our extended family all together. But yeah, it's just that it's hard. You can't you can't replace those moments of joy with each other. So yes, true. The
1: focus time. That's all that matters. Like the note on the gift. You just want the special note. You just want the time. That
0: was brilliant. That was brilliant. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Brian, thanks again for joining us today. This has been fun. And uh, we wish you uh, much success with Modern Husbands and and, uh, look forward to talking to you again. So have a wonderful week. And uh, hopefully, if you guys have any questions, you can find Brian at ModernHusbands.com and he can help you out as well. And we'll talk to you soon. God bless. Thank you for listening to Blended Blessed and Always a Mess. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at blendedblessalwaysamess.com.
1: Reach out to us on any of our social channels. We would love to hear from you. Have a great week.